The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Before I give you the word today, I just, I just need to say something. In case anybody was wondering, like my wife Beth is amazing, isn't she? Like she is like unbelievable. Like I just, I love her so much. Um, we were hanging out last night. Like she's like now on the, you know, Beth's on the radio. Like she's on the radio now. Like yeah, like it's crazy. And I listened to her. And she's like, she's so good. Like I love her on the radio. Like, but she's also like so smart. Like she's so smart. But at the same time, she's smart. She's so funny. Like I love my wife so much. She's like funny. She always makes me laugh. I love that she's not too mature to be silly. Like I love having fun uh, with her. I love her so much. She's good at everything she does. Like it's just like, oh my goodness. Like everything she puts her hand to, she's like good at it. She like gets up here and preaches, and you're like, dang, I wish I could be that good, right? And then and like. She, she's so good at, um, at like showing people like she, thoughtfulness. Like she's so much more thoughtful than I am. And it, it puts, yeah, <laughs> I didn't need an amen there. Um, but she like does all the thing, the thoughtful things to make people feel like I wish I knew how to make them feel. But I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You're amazing, right? I love everything about my wife. Like she is so awesome. She's the best. I love my kids too. I do love my kids too. Um, they're, they're really cool. My kids are cool. Um, like I love each one of them. Like there's just different things about them. I, 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 just, I, just, I just, I love them. And I'm like, I'll spare you all the gushy, but I, I love my kids too. Now, but here's the thing, when it comes to like who, if somebody, who do you love more, my kids or my wife? Actually, I say that and I make that face. It's a no-brainer. Like, in fact, it's a no-brainer at all. And my kids would answer that question for you with complete confidence. And here's why. Because <laughs> I don't know if this is good parenting or not. But sometimes, if they've heard me say it once, they've heard me say it a dozen times. Like, I'll just, I'll tell them. I'll look at them. I'll tell them. I'll say, girls, like, I picked your wife. I'm stuck with you. Right? Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, I don't know. I don't condone that parenting. And we always, you know, we always have some fun with it. But it's true. You know what I mean? And... Uh, now, now, here's the thing. Before you get all judgy on me, again, I don't recommend that as a parenting style, but, but there's some truth in it. And let, let me just, let me just, okay, we're not, we're not in the scripture yet, so you can, let me just give you a, a way of looking at something here. Okay, so let's say, let's say I have a stapler, and I love this stapler to the fullest extent that a person can love a stapler. It's just every single, there's no like duds, like every single time, like it's just perfect and it's just clean. It doesn't pinch through. To, oh, it's just a perfect stapler. I love it as much as I could possibly love a stapler. But then I have a pet goldfish. And I'm like, man, I love that goldfish. I say the same language, right? But that goldfish, like he looks at me, he swims around, and I get to feed him and he's dependent on me. And like, I love my goldfish. Now here's the thing. I believe that I have a greater capacity to love a goldfish than I do a stapler. The goldfish is... is is a living thing, and it, and it swims, it's dependent on, there's, there's a deeper level, like there's another level, there's another depth to the relationship, dimension to the relationship with my goldfish. So if someone loved a stapler, as much as you could humanly love a stapler, and you loved a goldfish, as much as you could humanly love a goldfish, you'd love the goldfish a little bit more, because your, your capacity for love for that goldfish is a little bit greater, because there's a little more depth to the relationship. Does that make sense? 
Okay, what about the way that I love my goldfish versus the way that I love my puppy? Oh, I mean, I love the goldfish, but my puppy, right? Your puppy? I don't have a puppy, but okay, you had a puppy, right? But there's a greater, even though I don't have a puppy that I love with all of my heart, you might, right? And there's a greater, why? Because that, that puppy can show emotion. Some of you over there are like goldfish lovers, like, hey, my goldfish shows emotion. I can read them, okay? But the goldfish, the, but the, the puppy is going to respond to you and interact with you and give you kisses and show you when they're disappointed and afraid or, or show love. That puppy can interact. There's a greater level, another dimension, Right? Greater level of depth of the relationship. So I would say, if you loved a goldfish to the greatest extent that you could love a goldfish, and a puppy to the greatest extent you could love a puppy, that there, it's not that you have to love the, take any love away from your goldfish, right? Do you? No, you love your goldfish as much as you can possibly love a goldfish. But that, like, container, like if you were to measure love in ounces, your container for love for that puppy is just a little bit bigger. Does that make sense? Because then you go about your kid, right? You love your puppy as much as you could possibly love, but then you like compare it to the love for your kid. It's not like you take away from the puppy, but your kid is your kid or somebody else's kid and your kid. Like, I love my kids. And you know what? I love your kids. I love my kids more. <laughs> and it's not that I'm taking anything away from the way that I feel about your kids. It's just my capacity for love for my kids is a little bit bigger. You know, when we look at the scriptures, there is one relationship on earth, one human relationship, that God elevates and gives a capacity for love that is greater than any other human relationship, and that's marriage. And that's just the way that God designed it. And, and so we can go like, I love my, that's not to say there's not some people who love their kid more than their spouse, but I'm saying Per God's design, if I were to love my kid as much as I could humanly love a child, I could love my spouse as much as I could humanly love my spouse, my spouse is a bigger container. Okay? And uh, believe it or not, I'm not talking about marriage and parenting today. So don't tune me out if you're not married or parenting, okay? Um, and some of you right now are going like, wow, that's, I've never thought of it that way. There's the free marriage and parenting tip, all right? Um, but we're not talking about marriage and parenting today. What I want to talk about is the church. Remember the last couple weeks we've been talking about the church and the difference a couple weeks ago between the church, God's true church, and the crowd. Then last week we looked at the family side of it, right? And we talked about uh, my family. I talked about all the relatives, right? And it's complicated and it's messy. But at the end of the day, we're family. See, I want to give us uh, through, uh, my, my attempt is for us to see God's family and some of the intricate design of it from a lens that we see through Scripture. You see, it's interesting, like all throughout Scripture we find this, we looked at this last week, all throughout Scripture we find that, that I am a child of God, I'm a son of God. Like, and I'm not sure any of us right now in this moment can actually absorb the full measure of that reality. We will spend the rest of our lives learning new nuances to that truth. You're a child, of, you are a son and a daughter of God. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Man, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you've confessed your sins and committed to follow him, the word says that he adopts us into his family. And it says in, in Ephesians, it, he did it because of his pleasure and his will. In other words, like why did he adopt you into his family? His pleasure and will, because he wanted to and it makes him happy. 
Not because you're good. Not because of anything you've done. He's chosen you. He loves you to this extent that you will never, ever fully comprehend. But there's this other imagery that we see in Scripture. And that is that of the bride. You know, Jesus talks about it. He tells a parable about it in Matthew chapter 25. And he, and he really, the listener, us, are really not even the bride, uh, but we're the, we're the bridesmaids. We're, he's speaking to individuals in this story. And he's talking about the great supper of the Lamb. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. This, 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 re, this union between the groom and the bride. The union between Christ and his church. And we see that in, in Revelation chapter 19. We see that. It is awaiting that. But, but at the same time, we talked about we collectively, the church, are the bride. But then sometimes he says, but we need to think about how we relate to that. He calls us bridesmaids, and we got to live ready. And so there's a couple different metaphors, and they don't perfectly make sense. Have you ever noticed that not every parable and not every metaphor it perfectly explains every aspect of what it's about? Have you noticed that? You can take a metaphor to a certain level, and then you start getting weird, okay? So... So there's two metaphors, and they don't work perfectly together. One is that I am a child of God, and the other is that we are the bride of Christ. And, and I think that's, that's conflicting, but, or not conflicting. It makes perfect sense in God's kingdom. But sometimes it's hard for us to grasp and, and, and see the nuance of that. Okay, and so I want, I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about this and, 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 and help give us a little bit of a, a context to understand this. Let me, let me put it this way. If if my love, okay, if my love, the way that I love my friends, okay, if, if that kind of love is like, it's not just like a little glass, like my container's not like a Dixie cup. I love my friends and I love them big, right? It's like a big gulp. You know what I'm talking about? Like I got a big gulp size container of love for my friends. But if, if we're going to talk about a big gulp kind of container capacity for love for my friends, then what is my love for my family? It's like, it's like a swimming pool. Not just, we're, we're going woods pool, right? Olympic size, big pool. This is the capacity that I have for love for my family. It's not saying I take anything away from my, my friends, but it's just like there's a bigger capacity. Let me, let me say, okay, now let's take, talk about how God's love for his child. God loved you. If you were to measure that, if my, my love for my friends is like, is like a, a big gulp, and, and my love for my family is like even my own wife and my children is like the swimming pool, let, let, let me tell you this. This is the way that God thinks about his children. It's like the Great Lakes. Like, that's how much God loves you. <laughs> but when he thinks about his bride, now we're talking the ocean. I don't, I don't know that we get it. I, I, and, and it's hard to get it. Like, so God loves me, but he loves we more than he loves me. But that doesn't take away from me. There's just a greater capacity for that. Does that make sense? Kind of. How about this? Like, here's something that's really interesting too. When I look at this, this, this metaphor of marriage, God specifically designed marriage. He loves marriage. He, does, he was the author of it. And so he made man and he made woman and he brings them together in marriage. And then he says this, and the two shall become one. And then he uses that metaphor to describe Christ and the church. Now, I'm not, don't go getting weird into like, oh, God has made us gods and we are one with God. And that. No, 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 okay, don't, don't get real too weird on me. But I, I want you to see the unity factor 
And the, the love that God has for his bride, that God has for us, listen, it doesn't take a bit of love away from his love for me to know that he loves us more than he loves me, right? I don't have to take love away from my children to give it to my wife. I've got a full container of both. It just happens to be that I love my wife more than I love my kids. Ooh, like some of you like cringe when you hear that, don't you? But it's just the weird aspect of relationships that God designed us with. And the, the metaphor that he chooses to use of all the metaphors, he calls me his son. He calls we his bride. There's something there. And so here's, here's the thing. I think this is particularly hard for us in an independence-driven culture and society. It really is. We value our independence. And there's some rich things about those values. But I think sometimes those values get in the way of us being able to see the truth and the reality of what God thinks about us. And so when we talk about us, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the global church, the church that, 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 that transcends time and space. And what I mean by that is every corner of the world from as far back as the resurrection to as far future as time goes, right? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and we, that anyone, are a part of the church. But now that's the 30,000-foot view, the truth of the matter is, is we as his children are, are called. Our, our um, practical expression of the church is to be, is to be through the context of the local church. Right? That's not saying the local church is the great thing, right? And we're not in competition with one another. We are one big body, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But the local expression, the practical expression of the church, sometimes we love to hang out in the 30,000-foot uh, view, and they're like, oh, we're all part of this one big family, but I just don't ever engage with any other Christians because Christians are whatever. Well, I think we kind of miss it. And I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. You're sitting in church today, okay? So all right, all right, this isn't condemnation. This is just oftentimes the things that come and <laughs> sneak in. Now, here, here's, now let's, let's take this bride thing. I, I want to think logically about like this implication of the bride. I want you to imagine, let's say, I meet um, a friend or maybe a new couple friend, right? So there's this couple and we, we're getting to know them. We're like, hey, you guys are pretty cool. Yeah, you're pretty cool. We hang out once or twice. That's awesome. And then, um, and then they come up to me and they're like, hey, uh, we'd love for you to, to, to have uh, dinner with us. Come on over to our house. We'd love to have you for dinner. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll talk to Beth. And I, I think that should work out. And they're like, well, well, well actually, um, like we, I was really just inviting you. Like, Beth is fine and all, but like, eh, I think we're just, it's, she's not really invited. You know what my response is going to be? Like, well, thanks, but no thanks, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't think you understand this, but we're kind of a package deal, okay? Like, you, <laughs> You can't just dog my wife and then expect me to, right? And most of us, nobody would ever say that because this is, this is common sense. It is in the physical world. And yet how many times have you heard and maybe said something along the lines of, man, I love Jesus, 
but I'm not just too keen, I'm not too keen on the church. I love God, but his bride drives me nuts. Jesus is fantastic. But the one that he died for, I don't want anything to do with. I just, I just wonder how God feels. Like we know we're supposed to honor God, right? We know we're supposed to honor God. We all know that. How in the world do you honor God while dishonoring his bride? And again, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not trying to like step on toes or anything, but I, I think sometimes we use some language and God introduces language and metaphors for us that we love to preach, but we don't actually think about. And Jesus says that his bride, God says, the word says that the bride is his church. The church is his bride. And so what I want, I want to talk about a little bit today is are some of the implications. Like if we're able to see this, like God loves me, but he loves we more than me. What are the implications of that? And again, I don't have to like, oh, who am I if God doesn't love me more than everybody else on the planet? Well, you're a child, not the bride. That's who you are. Um, have you ever noticed how unhealthy a family would become and does become? You've seen it happen. When one child thinks that the entire family unit revolves around them. Or worse yet, when a family unit caves to that thinking and the whole family unit does revolve around the child, it's just not healthy. And sometimes we as as children of God, we, we, we come with this mentality that like the whole bride needs to revolve around me. And what it does, it begins to dishonor the bride that Christ loves so much. And so I want, I want to look at this idea of, of Christ and his bride from the context of a family. Now, I've got to give kind of a little asterisk to this, okay? I'm not necessarily, because here's what's going to happen. Well, my family, okay, God designed a family to work in order, but we live in a fallen world, and few families really work perfectly in the order that God set up, okay? Can we all acknowledge that? We talked about that last week. There's, there, there, there's challenges in this, okay? But what we want to look at are the principles that God has established for the family unit and see how God has established those same principles in kingdom, uh, in kingdom life and in the body of the, the church. Does that make sense? Okay, so we can't be like, well, that doesn't apply to me because my family's... I, I understand that, but we're looking at the principles that God has established in Scripture. Because um, God, here, I, I, just, I just feel like I need to say this. Because God is a God of restoration. So if your family doesn't look like the perfect everything happening as God laid it out template. God is in the restoration business and he doesn't love the family, your family any less than he loves the family you're sitting next to that you think is perfect that really isn't, that's thinking the same thing about you. Okay? So this is, this is like, I understand that, but we're just gonna use some of these principles. I just felt like somebody needed to hear that today. God is in the restoration business. 
And he will continue to do that in the family and in the church, regardless of how broken things get. Amen? Anybody glad for that? All right. Okay, now here's the thing. We're going to talk about honoring the bride. Um, but I want to just make sure we understand this as well. We're going to talk about a family unit. We're a picture of the little kids. We're going to picture mom and dad up here. And we're going to talk about a family unit. And we're going to talk about honoring the bride. But we're just going to assume, for starters, that we're honoring the groom as well. Most of us in the church world, we get that idea. There's some that don't honor God. There's some that don't honor Christ. There's some that don't live according to way. And, and I understand that. But for the sake of specificity, right, for the sake of, of staying on topic today, we're going to assume that we're loving and honoring God really well. We're loving, honoring dad really well. What I want to look at is what happens if we try to love and honor dad well, but we don't love and honor his bride. Okay? Um, because here's the thing, when I think of my children, if they want to get on my good side, they don't do favors for me. They honor their mom. Right? Any dads in the house that can, that can agree with that, right? And so God is the same way. And so here we're going to look at a couple of things. But, but sometimes the idea of honor is, is a hard one to grasp, grasp. So I want to look at kind of the opposite so we can kind of see like where it lacks, okay? So I'm just, there's, there's kind of a scale on, on this, this honor scale, this honor rebellion scale, okay? On one end of this scale is blatant rebellion, and that's what we, that's really obvious. To, it, it's rebellion that says, I hate you, you blankety blank, blank, blank. I'm going to set myself up against you deliberately. Blatant rebellion. It's the child, it's the rebellious teen, teenager that says, I hate everything you say. Just because of it. And they might say, I want to give you $100. And you turn around and be like, keep your $100. I hate you and your money. Right? Like, it's that... It's, the, it's the, the heart and the attitude that it says, I have set myself up against mom in this case, the church. Or if it helps you in your head, picture that family. Mom, and I, it's blatant rebellion. And that's what oftentimes if we see just a little touch of rebellion, we automatically just convict people of that. Okay, let's back up just a little bit. I think it happens on the scale. Because there's another kind of rebellion. There's childish rebellion. Childish rebellion, its roots are not in defying authority, defying mom or dad or whoever it might be. Childish rebellion is not that, but it's rather that, that my, my, selfish, my pride, my desire to get my own way sets itself up against what mom and dad are asking. All right, so if, if, if blatant rebellion is, that, is the, the stereotypical rebellious teenager that says, I hate you and blah, 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 okay? The, the childish rebellion would be the little kid that just throws fits because I didn't get my way. Mom says, do this. Dad says, do that. No, nah, we're not going to do that. Because, it's not because I hate mom and dad. They love mom and dad. They just, they're just, their preferences got stepped on. And so what comes out is this rebellious attitude. You see, there's a difference, right? The root of it is in a different place. Okay. And then we're going to step to the next side. And then we're going to just talk about dishonor. Dishonor is a little bit more, oftentimes passive-aggressive, not all the time. But dishonor is when, like, we just, we just say things. It's, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the joke that you mean a little too literally to, 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 that you shouldn't have used. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the finding consolation with my brother and sister, right, the little kid that, like, gang up together, like, mom's the worst, isn't she? She is the worst. Oh, we feel good because we're, like, trashing mom, right? 
Dishonor is throwing shade at, right? It's, it's, it's not blatant. Some say it may not be rebellion, but it's, it's just this, this, this dishonor that, that, that is coming against the character of. And so we, here, here's what really dishonor is on this scale. Dishonor is really rebellion in socially acceptable doses. Kids, think about that one. <laughs> all of us, when it comes to God and his bride, let's all think about that one a little bit. Dishonor is rebellion in socially acceptable doses. It's not blatant. It's not that childish throwing a big fit. It's quiet. It's subtle. It's dishonoring. And then there's this next level on the scale of withholding honor. Withholding honor. And, and sometimes that's deliberate, and sometimes it's, it's unintentional. It's like there's honor to be had, but you just withhold it. It's, I hear my brother or sister trash-talking mom, and instead of correcting the thing that is wrong, instead of defending mom's honor, I just kind of... It's not dishonoring, it's not rebellious, but it's withholding honor that I know my dad, who I love, would like me to stand up for her. And then the last one, obviously, is honor. So we got blatant rebellion, childish rebellion, dishonor, withholding honor. Then finally we come to honor, lifting up, celebrating. Obedience is a part of this, because a lot of times in this context, it's in authority. Dishonor, um, it's bad for us <laughs> and for our health. I want to I talk a little bit about honor, what happens when we do. So that's kind of the negative side. That's the rebellious side. But what happens when we do? What are the implications of when, the, when we as children of God, as individuals, learn how to honor Christ's bride, the one that he died for, the one that he loves so much? What are the implications? The first one is this. first one is this. If you're taking notes, here's number one. When the bride is honored, the children are positioned for blessing. When the bride is honored, the children are positioned for blessing. And this is what I mean. I, I had this worded differently. When the, when, the, when the bride is honored, the children are blessed. But let me give an example of, of why it's, it's slightly different. Let's say that Beth, again, we're talking about the bride here. We're talking about mom. But Beth is uh, going to go run an errand. And she's going to be gone for two hours. And she asks all of our children... Uh, before she leaves, and I'm not home, right? We leave, and she asks all the children, hey, would you do your, your just daily chore? It doesn't take more than 15 minutes for any of them to do their chore, and some of them will argue me on that point right there. It doesn't take them more than 15 minutes to do, do their chore, and, and we give them two hours to do it. We say, hey, we'd ask you to clean, or, clean your room or, or do your chore or whatever it might be. In our mind, we don't say this, in our mind, we want to come back home, we want to pick them all up, and we want to take them to Dairy Queen, and we're going to spoil them, we're going to get blizzards, and it's going to be great. Like, that's what we want. That's what's in our heart. We want to bless our family. We want to bless our kids. We want to bless them. And we come home, and the whole house is destroyed. It's not just not clean, but they're like, well, we're going to clean up, but we thought we'd, we'd uh, bake first. And they just destroyed the whole thing. And then they're like, never cleaned it up. And they're like, well, then we're eating cookies. They're like, you can't eat cookies without watching TV. And then so they go downstairs and watch TV, and then they got plates all over. So, so like the whole house is a mess. And we walk back into this mess. Let me ask you a question. Are we going to Dairy Queen? 
Okay? It's, it's not that I'm withholding love, but they did something that was very dishonoring. Intentionally, not necessarily. Rebellious, no, they weren't trying to stick it to us, right? But they did something that was dishonoring. They did not obey. They didn't follow what was asked. They, and, and instead, they, they did their own thing and just didn't even care what was being asked of them, right? It was something that was dishonoring. And guess what? It closed the door. In fact, it slammed the door shut on the blessing that we wanted to pour out on them. Listen, when we walk in a way that is honoring to God and his bride, it, it props open the door for the blessing of God. It doesn't guarantee that we're going to get everything we've ever wanted from him, right? It doesn't guarantee Dairy Queen every time my kids do the chores. But dishonor will show that, shut that door real fast. Has nothing to do with the capacity for love. Has everything to do with honor. When you honor, honor holds the door of blessing open. Dishonor slams it shut. When the bride is honored, the children are positioned for blessing. Number two, when the bride is honored, second implication of, of, of Christ's bride, when the bride is honored, the children find joy. When the bride is honored, the children find joy. Um, I want you to do something with me for here just a second. I want you to, to picture in your mind's eye, right? I want you to picture a rebellious child, right? You can put it to your context, or it's your, maybe it's your kid, hopefully it's somebody else's. It could be a rebellious, snotty five-year-old, a rebellious 15-year-old, or a 20-year-old still living in your house that won't listen to you, or their parents, right? You picture a rebellious kid. Now picture that child out in public with their family. Okay, you see that picture? You see that picture in your head? Let me ask you a question. Are they smiling? <laughs> Probably not, right? Because here's what happens. Like, like, rebellious children forfeit their joy when they demand their own way, right? And so you can't be demanding your own way while you're honoring your mom and dad, right? Those things are, are mutually exclusive. If, if, if I'm demanding that I get what I want, I cannot then show honor to my mom and dad. I can't hear my mom and dad because all it is, it's, it's about me. And what happens is that is a dishonoring deal. And so I'm not going to find joy. Like I grew up with multiple siblings and I can think of times when, um, when, when one of the four of us was just doing a little dishonoring, rebellious thing. First of all, that's oftentimes contagious, and that's, that's sad. Like, man, God forgive me if my dishonor has caused somebody else to miss sight of the joy and the blessing that God wants to pour out on them. But, but sometimes, like I remember vividly one family vacation, and we were having a good time. I was. And we were having a good time. And we were, um, oh, my mom's here today. Maybe she remembers this. Maybe not. I, um, we were having a good time, and we're driving on the way to somewhere. We're, it was early on in the vacation, and we were driving on the way to somewhere, and one of my siblings snaps at mom and dad in this, in this biting, rebellious way. Now, we were older, like teenagers. I was probably junior, senior in high school. And when I heard it, like I was, I was in a good mood. I was fine. When I heard that biting comment, this is what came out of my mouth. It was immature, but this is what came out. I started oh, you did not just say that to mom and dad. Like, full voice, like, it just, yeah, okay, let's stir the pot, Swihart. All right. Um, 
Oh, you did not just say that to mom and dad. And it was an interesting moment because there was one kid in the car who was dishonoring and rebellious. But you know what? Everybody else was having a great time. And it continued that way. There's sometimes when our dishonoring of God's bride is going to send us spiraling. And, and we look around like, how come everybody's so happy? Because we're honoring mom and dad. And there's blessing that is being poured out. And I can walk in joy. You see, this is what happens. Like honor provides like a security that serves as a foundation for joy. When, when, when picture a family, you got little kids running around, and, and when, when those children are honoring mom and dad, it offers a place of security. When there's a feeling of security in the family among the children, then they're free to express themselves. They're free to experience the joy of life. They're free to walk in the fullness that, that is theirs as a part of the family. But as soon as dishonor begins to rise itself up, that security begins to be questioned and, and washed away. Which brings us to the third one. Number one, when the bride is honored, the children are positioned for blessing. Two, when the bride is honored, the children find joy. And three, when the bride is honored, the children will be united. The children will be united. You see, we talk a lot about unity and being united together and all those types of things. And here's the thing. Um, I just read a book, and I'm actually going to recommend it and talk about it tonight. It's called Until Unity by Francis Chan. It's fantastic. But one of the things that he talked about is that the way that worship unites the church together. <clears throat> when we worship God, like how in the world can me, a child of God, <laughs> be worshiping and honoring our Father while you're worshiping and honoring our Father and then be biting back and forth at each other while we're worshiping? That doesn't make any sense. I would argue there's another aspect of it as well. That as we honor God as our Father, but also honor His bride. When we speak well of His bride, what happens if now I, like, <laughs> now I and all my children, I highly value Dad. He's great. And we, you know what? We highly value mom too. And even if we have some squabbles, you know what? They can bring it in. They can provide the security and the foundation that we need, that stabilizing nature that, 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 that makes all of our squabbles seem silly. When the bride is honored, the children will be united. You know, I want to read that passage in, in, in Revelation chapter 19. It's, it's an incredible picture of what happens after we're no longer on this earth. Be it Christ come back or we die and, and see him, this is how it all ends. Revelation chapter 19, verse 5 says this, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice. Let us, his children, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. This is a picture of Christ being united with his holy people for all eternity. It's more than just about me and God. I mean, don't get me wrong, that is critical. It's huge. It's bigger than you can wrap your brain around. But even bigger than that is his love for us, the church. He loves crossroads. But guess what? He also loves our friends down the street who are worshiping the same God. We are brothers and sisters together. At Mercy City and Calvary and Berean and, and Christ Place and everywhere in between. If God were to walk in on some of our conversation about, we'd say, even our brothers and sisters, right? Like sometimes I say this to my girls, like my girls, if, if, if they're fighting or bickering or, or just have a harsh tone with each other or whatever, if it's real biting, I'll step in and I'll say this, nobody talks to my daughters like that. Not even my daughters. Nobody talks to my daughters like that. Hey, and I love you, but you don't talk to my daughter like that, okay? Now, if I walk downstairs or I walk into a room and they're saying that same biting, harsh comments to my wife, I'll just be honest. They don't. They have, but they don't anymore. That's my bride. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're in my family. You don't talk about my wife like that. And yet we, 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 we find this place of socially acceptable rebellion where we just like, hey, man, I love the, the idea of, of the church, the, you know, the global church, that's great. But those people who worship like that, like, I don't even think that's real worship. It's so, like, distasteful. I don't even, they don't even, those people who, who, who fill in your least favorite doctrinal thing that another church does. It's like being like, your wife is great, but she's got a big butt and a horrible attitude. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I get it. I mentioned this last week. I get it. There's a lot of people teaching things that I'm just like, ah, I don't think that's right. There's a lot of people who do church a little bit differently than we do. You know, like those more traditional type who just really don't like actually know what worship is. <laughs> or those charismatics who are way too emotionally engaged. It's all just for show. Or those baby baptizers who think that they can just like introduce people into, G into the kingdom of God without them making a decision to follow Jesus, that heresy. Or like, you don't need me to keep going, do you? 
part of learning to follow Jesus is to love what he loves. Part of learning to be a follower of Jesus is to honor his bride like she deserves to be honored. And for some, listen, for some, I know you've been hurt by the church or, or somebody in the church or an authority figure in the church. Listen, let me just, let me just, 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 just leave this here a little bit. It's so interesting how quickly when one person who goes to church hurts me that I can throw the whole church under the bus. But when one person who goes to church helps me, but it's not the person that I expect to be, then it's like, how come the church hasn't shown up for me? Let's quit playing games is all I'm saying. Let's honor. Let's honor where honor is due. Maybe you're like, ah, the church doesn't. That's your opinion. God's is different. That's us being little children, being like, mom, you're such a jerk. You just don't understand. (laughs) And dad's saying, I don't care if you understand. You will honor my wife. I want to be so much better at this. You know what Paul calls rebellion? You know what he compares rebellion to? Witchcraft. God, God forgive me if I've ever, shoot, that's so self-righteous. God forgive me for all the times I've dishonored your bride because I thought I knew better, because I thought I was better, because I was entitled to my perspective. I just want to be a child. I just want to be a child who honors mom and honors dad together so the door of blessing can be opened into my life so I can experience the fullness of joy that is promised. So I can find unity with my brothers and sisters who are doing the same. I love his church. And I want to learn to love it more every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the way you've put us together. God, you are unbelievable in this. God, the way you've, you've worked us all together, the way you've, you, you, you call us your, your child, your sons and your daughters, and at the same time, us collectively, I don't even understand it all, but we're also your bride. God, we love you, we really do, but Lord, I just ask you to help us learn to love your bride like you do. Learn to honor your bride the way she deserves to be honored. God, there's just so much peace and joy and blessing and unity that's there. I want, I want that sweet spot of, of, of following you that comes with a, with a healthy family. God, you're just, you're, you're, you're too much. We don't deserve the way that you love us. So 
sword today. We say we, we're sorry and we're getting up today. Not beat up. God, there's no, there's no condemnation in you. But God, with a new resolve, God, teach us to walk this out with a new resolve to honor your bride. With a new resolve to speak highly of your church with a new resolve to to adopt a new perspective, a heavenly one, not an earthly one. So God, we're yours. We're your children. Make us into the family you desire us to be. God, we love you. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.